Ubuntu, remember, we are who we are through others, but don't give away your bricks. Um, because is that we always just put everyone else before ourselves and we don't work on ourselves first and foremost. Because I think that's where the secret lies is if you work harder on yourself and you be a better version of yourself, then everyone around you is a better version of themselves. Those who are living a life of freedom have optimized themselves and their lives in pursuit of one thing, choice. They've created the financial, geographical and time freedom to do what they want, when they want to. But they've also created freedom from their internal limitations, their story, their biology and their character. In this podcast, The Freedom Project, it is my attempt to shortcut your learning curve to having total freedom in your life so you can go and do more cool shit. I'm going to bring you deep dives into some of the most inspiring adventure athletes and business owners in the world. I'm also going to give you the key concepts of my coaching process to adventurepreneurs so you can start applying that to your life today. So here is another episode of The Freedom Project. Your family, your clients, and even your dog. If you give to those around you without expectation of reciprocation, your life will be meaningful and eventually you'll be rewarded. Fail to look after yourself though along the way and you will never be able to give fully. Whether you're building a business, nurturing your family, or leading a polar expedition, mastering the balance of prioritizing your greatest asset, you, with the service of others, is key. Many fall short of this optimal balance, and their life will suffer as a result. Today, with ex-England international rugby player turned entrepreneur Don Armand, we explore what that balance looks like. Here's what we're going to cover. Firstly, unlocking the secrets of Ubuntu. Dive into an ancient African philosophy that unveils surprising ways to simplify and enrich your life journey. Secondly, discover the hidden cost of pro sports. Explore the unexpected ways that a professional sports career can shape and sometimes limit personal growth in unforeseen ways. Third, transforming adversity into strength. Discover how embracing positivity can turn life's toughest challenges into inspiring stories of hope and resilience. Fourth, facing the storm, lessons in resilience. Uncover the profound lessons of hope and perseverance learned from surviving intense political turmoil and life-altering events. And finally, lead by growing yourself. Learn the art of becoming a more impactful leader by prioritizing your own personal growth and how it can uplift those around you. Here's a great conversation with the one and the only Don Armand. Where I'd like to start this is with the time I was using to scroll your LinkedIn feed to kind of like do a bit of research. And I saw a word that I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of, yeah. but Ubuntu? Uh, Ubuntu, yeah. Ubuntu. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me about that phrase and what it means to you. No, yeah, nice. Well picked up. Because... Um, we can go down a real rabbit hole with that. Uh, but obviously that's an African philosophy, which is we are who we are through others. Um, and I suppose if you look at, if you're coming from LinkedIn feeds, it's trying to, that's with definitely with an eye on, in terms of leadership and, and the legacy and what actually legacy means, because I think people go, oh, there's an ego thing and it's got nothing to do with it. It's, it's about, you know, that saying of planting a seed for a tree, you're never going to sit in the shade of. Um, you, you've got to work for the people around you in terms of being understanding about community. And so it kind of takes that pirate's code kind of, it's going against the grain of what business currently is, is, you know, once the higher up you go, the more brutal and cutthroat it gets. 
and it's trying to start this like just remind just remember that you are who you are through others so if you bring other people down that's what's going to happen to you um now where i think it does get confused is i see then people will go in a, above and beyond to help other people and not themselves so i actually mm -hmm. always sign off so like i stream tonight um to on twitch and I always say like Ubuntu, remember we are who we are through others, but don't give away your bricks. Um, because is that we always just put everyone else before ourselves and we don't work on ourselves first and foremost, because I think that's where the secret lies is if you work harder on yourself and you'll be at a better version of yourself, then everyone around you is a better version of themselves. Um, because when you flip that Ubuntu and I know this is now we're going, uh, there's lots of different tangents here, but we are who we are through others. Therefore, if you think someone else is who they are because of you, i.e. you're the other, the better you are, the better they can be. So it's understanding mm -hmm. like we're all connected. Like you can't just sit and, and do nothing and you can't just sit and, and make a difference in everyone else's lives but on yours because you will be a reflection and you will be their influence. So therefore you're bringing them down by not working on yourself first. Which side of that equation do you typically fall? So the more giving to others and sacrificing yourself or work uh, or the other side of that? I used to go give to others, sacrifice yourself. That's what it's meant to be. But the more work I do, the more, you know, further down the rabbit hole I go, the more I realize that the more you work on yourself, the more you give to others. When did that right change? Way. Sorry, when did that change? Um, it's probably just before I started, before I was getting ready to retire from rugby. Um, because then you're having to start to think about, you know, what's next, where do we look? You've got a couple of months to just think about things. And then you start to realize that like, only flip the whole time. I've been trying to make sure everyone else is okay. Not realizing that I bring down, I bring them down by not being okay. Mm. So you have to then go, like, you see loads of things like disappear for nine months. You're like, oh, I can't do that too many. It's like. The other side of that comes out an incredible individual that can take people further than they could have before. And so I've definitely fallen on the campers on the camp now where look after yourself. And it's not like, let's redefine selfish. Like selfish isn't a negative thing, but it's definitely got that, that like, you know, the following that if someone is selfish, they are, that's a bad thing. But actually it's going, you know, put your own breathing mask on first, look after yourself first. And that's, you know, as long as it's not to the detriment of someone, um, as in like me going, say, I've got four kids and my wife. And if I say, oh, I'm just going to go to the gym for three hours and that leaves her at home for three hours with the kids trying to get like, that's where I go. That's probably where we talk selfishness. But if I can get up at five o'clock in the morning and perhaps get back half an hour into the morning, that's a lot better. But the rest, the two and a half hours that I'm around, I'm absolutely buzzing. I'm on it because I've made sure that I'm good and then I can go and give that. Whereas if we don't do that first hour for ourselves, you're then, you know how it is, like you're then moping around or you're not just on it. You're not giving the best to the kids because you haven't sorted yourself out and the kids actually start to suffer. So does your wife. And then it just becomes this like, I don't know, a, a horrible circle of a horrible cycle of, you know, everyone's not good in their own right. So therefore no one else is good. What that sounds like to me is, ensure we have the discipline to do the right things at the right time so that we have the the opportunity to give to others yeah i mean and i suppose that's where it comes into like let's be a bit agile have the discipline to make sure you get your stuff done without the excuses being personal because you can't change your environment 
So let's say a good example, if we're talking about discipline, like oh, I want to get up at 10 to 6 every morning, straight into the shower, then get the ice bath done, go and journal, and then I'll be ready for the kids. But if I get up at 10 to 6 and that disturbs my youngest, then he gets up, all of that goes out the window. And now I've got excuses. Now the discipline falls out the window because I haven't got that done. But it's actually going right. If giving him a bit, you know, 20 minutes extra sleep, I can, I can still, I can have that sleep, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Uh, once we wake up, I go, right, let's get the kids going. Now I can go and get my shower done. Now I can go get the ice bath done. And it then works in tandem. And then sometimes it's not going to be able to happen. Sometimes it, as in like, it doesn't matter how hard you try. I'm just going to have to make sure that I get it done before the end of the day. Because it's a daily thing that I want to do, not a at six o'clock in the morning. Because I think we set ourselves up to fail when we mm. tie ourselves into things that aren't suited to our environment. So it's going, what can we do with what we've got? And it's going, well, I need to do these four things within the next three hours, not I need to do these four things within the next 10 minutes. Because then you're going to fail and then you're going to get frustrated. And then you're going to start to be annoying or horrible to the people around you, if that makes sense. That's essentially the conversation I consistently have with every single one of my clients. It's like, are we too structured or are we too loose? And when you're looking for performance in a business realm, but you'll probably know this from rugby too, and you'll know this from like organizing a family and leading yeah. a family, and you know, it's from your own management yourself, that balance of am I too rigid, too structured, where everything becomes refined and too tight and too... Um, too restrictive yeah or am i too loose and too open and am i not getting the things done that i really need to be to be done yeah and that's a consistent battle yeah i and i'd, I'd probably say where the, the understanding i've come to that is i like the fact you mentioned structure there is is we have to have a deep understanding of how to scale that structure up and how to scale it down and what's your minimum standard so for me the minimum standard is a cold shower if everything else goes to pie i will make sure that i get that cold shower done so why that's important is, you know, if sometimes you're going to be in a hotel or you're camping and then you've got, you know, you meant to cold shower, you meant to journal, then you meant to go and do your gym work and you've put that structure in place. And now you've relied so much on being so rigid in it that you, you literally are, you're going to, what's, what's going to happen. So your structure has got to start for me. It's like your intention behind the one thing starts the rest of them. But if you can't get the rest of them done, as long as you get that minimum standard done, understand you're going to be in a good space because the next day you might be in the environment where you do get the rest done and it's exactly. it's going like you need you absolutely need the structures but you have to have the understanding that the structures do not define you only they just give you a good start exactly right i always talk about two things elegant consistency so the idea of elegant being elegance being a surprisingly simple ingenious solution to an apparently complex problem and yeah like, that is a like. thing that i've uh, memorized there but no, like, like what's the smallest amount that you can do and do it consistently and then the other thing i'm always thinking about is like what's the minimum effective dose yeah. so with my training i could do a two and a half hour session yeah but maybe the minimum effective dose is some back squats and some tip raises like maybe that's the thing that i need to be doing really focusing on or getting in the cold shower and it's like yeah we spend so much time over complicating things going for the the nuance and well, going yeah, for like think, the, the top one percent yeah and i think that's where the, the lack of understanding comes in is when you don't understand it you don't realize the negative effects as well as the positive effects so you mentioned there like the two and a half gyms two and a half hour gym sessions like what for like, are you going to be able to do this every single day of your life? Like, unless you're training for a marathon or you've got something specific that you need to do, 
those two and a half hours of training for, what are you doing it for? So that's where you say your minimum dose is we've got to prepare ourselves for life because the goals will always change once you achieve them. But mm. what we want to make sure we're not changing is those minimum effective doses that aren't reliant on the goals unless they're just that overall health goal or that overall consistency goal. So yeah, we speak. Where the do you language. see people regularly falling short of that or making mistakes in doing kind of that, that mentality of um, stepping over pounds to pick up pennies, like yeah. going for those tiny wins? I think people make the error where they, they start too big or they don't, re- they don't understand the gravity of what the long-term effect of what they're doing is. So if, if I said to someone that wanted to make a difference and often you'll get people who go, Oh, I'm too busy to exercise. I'm too, so that if I can't get an hour in, I'm getting none done. And it's like, if you realized that five minutes of body weight stuff, so like, it, or if, put it this way, 40 press ups a day. If you just did that and you ran once a week on a Saturday for half an hour, uh, you would be in a much better space. Like, you can't fight that you will because every single day you've done something and it's all the mental stuff. If you then go, now I've developed that discipline to give myself five minutes, I think I could actually do 10 minutes. Then you build in your, your 40 press-ups and your, your 20 squats. And that's your bare minimum. Whether you go to gym and do an hour after that, great. If you don't, it doesn't matter because you're going to be in a slightly better space. And the point is you just have to get yourself into a slightly better space every day. And that builds that self-confidence. When people underestimate that so like completely because how often you know you work you think about someone that goes like the classic examples oh, i've gone on a diet i'm now doing my macros and you're just like i'll see you in three months time and you're going to be yeah i just couldn't keep that up um you know i lost five stone but i put it back on again and you're like it's because we were just trying to do too big too soon but we like i think where we all we lack the understanding is the time frame is work for now for what you want in three years time and make it small and attainable rather than working now and do your three years time goal in three months time because you won't keep that up and yeah i've unfortunately seen the best of people the most honestly some inspiring inspiring cases when they get to six months and i'm like okay maybe they've maybe they've actually nailed each other they've got this desire that i can't understand and they've tapped into it and then it starts to just fall off. And then it's, and then at month nine, they're back to where they were at month one. And then they're mm. frustrated. And it's like they did so – and they go, I worked so hard and I did so much. But I'm back to where I started. And I said – because at the beginning of the journey, you're like you're doing too much. Like it's very intense. And like I'm loving it. So, okay, fine. We'll go to journey. Yeah, and you've got, you've got that excitement to go for and you've got that kind of momentum and you've got the motivation there and maybe you've hit enough pain where you're yeah. willing to change or maybe you've seen the potential kind of um, the the goal in the distance and it's kind of, oh, I think, I, I, think yeah. I know what I want now. I'm going towards that. Yeah. And then you have that like spark of engagement. And I have it the whole time when I start working with clients too. Like you probably get this too. Like they start working with me and they're so stoked to move forward with their business yeah. that they're like, I'm going to do everything. And then I'm like, slow down because I, yeah. I know where this road goes. Like, what's the minimum effective dose again? And then a few months down the line, they or a few weeks down the line, they're hitting burnout again. It's like, okay, we need to pull that back. We need to just go. What's the small? Like, be humble. Like, what's the small thing yeah, you need humble. to do to improve one percent now? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's spot on. Like, it's I call it for myself moving the needle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something really small that you can do today. Cause I mean, you would have heard the saying is like, you overestimate what you can do in a day, underestimate what you can do in a year. 
-hmm. And the more you actually put that into practice, the more you realize how powerful it is. So it's like, if you sit down, you go, I've got so much to do. It's just going, well, what's the one thing that you can do? It doesn't matter if it brings in money or not. What's the one thing that's going to move the needle? And the more often you sit down, you do that, the more you realize you just move things along. And at month six, month nine, you've just done so many days of moving that needle. And sometimes you've moved two, sometimes you've moved three, that you're in a, you're in a better place. And it doesn't matter what's going on. You'll always be able to back that up. So I think it's, it's unlike what you said there about being humble enough to do the small things is it's spot on. Like I've even gone through that where I started in like the e-commerce business gas. And I was trying to achieve year 10 vision in year one because I was like, no, we got to get big. And it's like, be humble enough to go to a school and do a talk and sell two t-shirts. Be humble enough to go to an event where there's probably going to be 15 people, but you're going to, you're going to have the chance to see 15 people. Yes, it's not worldwide. It's not global, but you're not going to get there if you don't do these things. So yeah, I really like that. Yeah, there's a frame within CrossFit actually where they talk about mechanics, consistency, intensity, and it's down to like a movement pattern. And they talk about, can you perform one air squat well? Okay, well, that's great. Can you do that consistently? Okay, now that's your goal. And then can you do it with some intensity? And I think the same applies to business or habit formation or self-improvement, however you want to frame it or which lens you want to use. It's like, can you do one thing well to begin with? Yeah. Then can you do it consistently well and then add intensity? And that's when you start stretching yourself. Most people, they think, oh, I should be at that elite performance. And it's probably the same with you in rugby career, right? If you like, you look at you at your peak and that absolute limited performance you're hitting and the training intensity and the demands you put on yourself and everything that went into that, the culture that you thought about, everything that went into that. If you try to do that on day one when you're 12, yeah, it wouldn't, well, you would have broken. And people do. And I think using rugby as a good example is it's the worst thing for me is seeing parents try and push their under eights or their under sevens or even in any sport. And they put their, the parents' understanding onto that kid and think, oh, if they don't practice this four times a week, they're going to, you know, they're not going to make it. And it's like, they are at level one, which is enjoy, enjoy as much as they want. Like just as long as they've enjoyed it, it doesn't matter if they've made mistakes. In fact, the more mistakes they make, the better because it means they're trying, but parents Mm -hmm. will be like, oh, you can, and I, I can't interfere, but you see parents like telling the, and I, I sometimes do it, but I have to catch myself because we're naturally inclined to do that is like, oh, you were doing this pass wrong. You're doing that pass wrong. This is how you got to pass. And it's like, man, they're, they're under eight. Like to give them a break. They're at a completely different scale to where you are. Um, and you see it like it's exactly the same in business startups versus SMEs versus when they go into the next level. It's like all of those require a form of structure that you need to scale up and you can't go to a 250 size employee business uh, with 10 employees and run the same structures. But you have to understand what the foundations are that you're doing at 10 that you will need to do when you're at 250 and you start there. To take a little bit of a detour, and by the way, you're exactly right. Are you walking before you can run? That's essentially what we're we're talking about here. To take a little bit of a detour, what are your opinions on the culture of rugby and what that that creates? Because obviously there's huge benefits in in so many ways. 
I also have conversations with a lot of former athletes and I come from a rugby playing family, not myself personally, yeah. but a rugby playing family. And I see the limitations of that as well. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'm not going to say any yeah. more of that. But like, what do you, like, what do you see as the benefits that translate to other areas of life very well and other, and the limitations of it that don't transfer to the like long-term health? Yeah, it's interesting. So I've got to be very... Um political by way I answer these um mm -hmm. just because it's it's rugby and people without context take take opinions out of context and then they can make it even worse so if you're listening to this take it within the context with which it is and the context is we're looking at individuals trying to be the best that they can be in the sports that they love um regardless of any other feelings emotions or whatever you you think you see rugby as and it goes the culture that is brilliant is, you know, you, you get exposed in terms of character, you get exposed in terms of high performance, you just, no one's coming to save you. If you put the work in, you stand a better chance of being selected. That doesn't mean you are going to be selected. Um, but as long as you're consistently putting the hard work in, when people get injured, when your chance comes, you will get the chance because that's what pays off. Um, when I look at the culture of what rugby can take into the real world, um, I mean, I think it's that resilience that you get built up through injuries, through, you know, the rejections from not being in the team, through not getting picked. Um, there's loads of positives that I could talk about. Um, where I look at the things that don't help, as I think sometimes rugby can be quite insular um, with the way they look at things. Um, if you look at the way the business models run in rugby at the moment, there's so much opportunity for the game to grow in a global way, but it just is, you know, it's, just is looking at like protecting rugby a bit and it's like well why are we trying to protect that if we look at the health aspects of rugby um you know i do get concerned sometimes about the, the amount of different supplements and medication and all of those things getting given to the individuals that are there to high perform there's an immediate aspect of you're in a trustworthy space as a you know physio snc doctor you better make sure that what you're giving them, you know the long-term effects of. Um, whether they do or don't, I'm not really sure. Not really something that I probably should go into here. Um, and then if we look at a different aspect of the culture is the drinking culture um, and that goes with it. And I think it's it's a necessary part of any team, um, but that culture is changing. And if I look at where that holds people back, because I think that's what you asked, is like, imagine you had six years to be the six years on average, the best that you could be and you wanted to get to the top of your game. So let's say playing for British and Irish Lions. Um, alcohol as a, as a big understanding is inflammation, lack of recovery, lack of, like terrible for your sleep. When you look at performance wise, like drinking is the bottom end of things that we should be doing because of the, the drastic effects it has everywhere without us actually seeing them firsthand. It's not like running into a wall where you're immediately going to get knocked out. It's like you drink on a Saturday, it's going to affect your sleep on Saturday night, it's going to affect your recovery on Sunday to then repeat that same performance within the next week, having doing all the training and being the best you can be. It's the worst thing that you could do as a habit, like drink every weekend. Some people are more resilient at with it than others and they can perform. But then I always thought, I was like, what would rugby players look like? How would they succeed if there wasn't a massive drinking culture every Saturday? Like, yes, let's spread it out. Let's, let's all still have a beer. That's fine. Um, but don't go out till four in the morning and then come in on a Monday and train because you're just not going to be in the same space that you could be in. 
And that's where it takes a little bit of extra sacrifice that I don't necessarily see from the past in terms of role models and stuff in rugby or whether they just didn't speak about it because the world celebrates outcomes, not the process. So um, we want to see the process of the guys that got to the top. You're very rarely going to see that. And so the only process or outcome that you do see is the champagne and the drinking and the, the four-day drinking sprees. And, you know, that gets more and more publicized because of social media. Now you've got all the youngsters looking at that. And, you know, we, you see someone winning the World Cup and they're drinking every, like, for the next five days. Fair enough, that's World Cup. Or they win a final or even on a Saturday. I was very careful not to put any drinking type things on Instagram if I could help it because I realized that there's not just you and me watching me on Instagram. There's a 12-year-old watching me on Instagram. What do I want them to see? I need them to see that in order to get to the top, in terms of high performance, it's not about drinking. So it's about what fitness you're doing, what are you doing? So the issue is, is when you have guys putting those processes on, there's obviously a banter culture and then it just gets funny to bring it. So then they go, right, I'm just not going to put it up. Um, mm. So it just is understanding how there's a funny side to a culture, but then there's also the other side is how is that funny side stopping people that aren't courageous enough, brave enough, confident enough, or at a stage in their life where they actually don't care what you think of putting themselves out there and being the best that they can be. And you see it all the time. Like, I don't know, in rugby environments, like a guy comes in and says, I'm not drinking. Honestly, it's, it's, if you can stick to not drinking as a rugby player uh, for your season, your, your whole career, mate, like the, 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 the resilience that you build up then is huge because you know that it's about you and what you set and you talk about the desire, like that's strong. Because I often see people coming short. Oh, fine, I'll just have one. And then they go out till four in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's starting to become way more socially acceptable in a broad society to not drink. And to yeah. go, okay, no, I'm setting these standards for myself. I think that's slowly happening. Like the, the parallel that I see between rugby and the military is huge. Like they've got a bit of military background. Um, yeah. And like that element of, it obviously serves a purpose, right? It serves the purpose of, Bonding, yeah. team bonding, yeah. If, if you yeah. if you want a, to build a team that is very close to each other, give them some booze and make them do difficult things. Yeah. And that is essentially military training and rugby. Like yeah. it, they like you're doing incredibly difficult things, and then you're getting kind of fucked up as well. Yeah, like I mean that. Break it down. Well, what does booze do? It helps you become more vulnerable. Inhibitions. Takes away your inhibitions. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how trust is built. That's how bonding is done. So if you can mm. create that same thing without alcohol, then you're onto a winning formula. If you can't, then understand, don't demonize it. Just don't make them do it every Saturday because you're going to be at the detriment of the players. Oh, and especially when you bring in the, the current information that we have around brain injuries and concussion um, yeah. and add some booze on top of that and then no recovery and no sleep. Like that is a, a not great idea. The other angle I wanted to explore is like, what about mental health in rugby? Because yeah. that's something that I've seen as well. And I think these they may not be overlapping but there's definitely parallels in terms of the culture around booze and same with the military as well i just had people a couple of people on who have had very complex ptsd from their service in the military and it's that yeah. kind of boxing off of emotions that we see in in a lot of high performance sports as well so talking to me about that yeah i mean it's interesting isn't it because in order for you to say something that you think is valuable and make a difference you're going to offend a lot of people mm -hmm. in the mental health space um I, I, I think at the moment it's quite a disempowering narrative that's out there because mm -hmm. we're trying to uh, accept mental health as a thing. But I think we're doing it 
in a like I said in a disempowering way it's like we're going you know in a, in a simplest form is uh, you know you're going to have you're going to be depressed you're going to be anxious it's okay and it's like yes 100 it's okay if you were standing if, if you and me were in a private room you said don i'm depressed we're like honestly that i'm um, thank you for telling me but where we stop is we stop there the narrative stops there where it needs to be and it's human psychology the vision purpose you read victor frankl's man for man's search for meaning it's like you need something to work towards whereas we don't give that it's okay not to be okay but you can get out of this that's not strong enough and i think that we need someone that's courageous enough to annoy a few hurt people to say listen don't be so disempowered it's like if you're feeling that that's okay i accept that there's no judgment that that's good there is a way that you can get out of it you can get out of it you can be empowered on it because there's nothing worse than disempowering someone that actually wants to get out of their zone because i don't think anyone wants to stay depressed or sad mm -hmm. or mentally ill if or mentally not unfit depends on how you want to term it you see there's so many different ways we're terming it like we're now so careful about how we say it because someone's going to get offended but actually at the end of the day is like listen you're a rugby like you're a rugby player you've been in the military like you've got some phenomenal background some phenomenal things to learn from you have more than a lot like 99 of the society that you're going into has in terms of experiences in terms of your emotion your mindset your mentality and the only thing stopping you from tapping into that is the narrative that you're listening to. So example is narrative. When you leave the military, it's going to be tough. When you leave rugby, it's going to be tough. It's never going to get easy outside of it. It's, you know, you're really going to struggle. That's people caring. I go, look, we're going to support you. But at the end of the day, if you're coming into the business world or the non, you know, uh, rugby or military world, with someone telling you that, think about, and I know that you've got massive... Um, focus and passion about mindset is your thoughts create your reality so those thoughts are getting fed into you whether you believed it or not before someone's already told you you're going to struggle someone's already told you that it's going to be hard someone's already told you you are going to struggle with your mental health and unless you're prepared for that that's what's going to end up happening it becomes that like you create your own reality so why are we not creating a narrative that goes it's going to be tough but so is everyone else's life it's going to be tough there these are the steps you can take you know, you have done this before you like, it's such a great experience mm. to go through. Like, it's like a preseason, like if, no one wants to go through preseason because you know, this is where you're going to be sweating. It's going to be hard. You're going to get fit, but on the other side of it, you're going to be able to perform. Like it's the same thing that's going to happen. All I've done is I've said to you, you're going to get through that first patch. There's going to be elements where you think you're going to struggle mentally, but you have to empower yourselves at those times because once you start to get through that, you then have created this other like persona or fitness that's non-rugby, non-military that can handle more than you would have been able to before because of what you've been through, because of that transition. Like we should be empowering that transition, not disempowering it. The point you mentioned there that I think is so important is the idea that no one's negating anyone's suffering. No yeah. one's saying your suffering doesn't mean anything or is or doesn't exist, but you are saying that you can do something about it. And here's the thing. I think even if that isn't true, it's the best way to think about it. Yeah. Because what's going to empower you, what's going to allow you to take action, what is a more useful way to believe about the world, I can do something about it or I can't do anything about it and I'm just a victim of my circumstance. Yeah. And I, I, like, I think it's the, it's the same thing of moving the needle. If someone tells you that you, you're going to be depressed, you're going to struggle, you can't move that needle because they haven't given you a needle to move. 
But if yeah. someone's it's a biochemical situation that you yeah. can't change, it's just your brain chemistry. Yeah. Whereas, whereas actually, it's like, and I mean, this is completely outside of my field of expertise, but where I've listened to loads of different people's experiences that are way more authoritative than I have, they have going, you will, you always have a choice, but you get fooled into thinking you don't. And there's a biochemistry element to it, but there's also the opposite biochemistry element to it where if you can get through it, you have a choice. So Mogul Dat, I'm going to paraphrase him because I don't want this to come across as my device, as my advice. It's not something that I would ever say because I haven't been through it, but he did a podcast with Diver CEO and he was talking about the formula for happiness. Um, and he said his son was like Buddha, honestly, like great soul, all of the like, and then his son at 21 died with an appendicitis operation. So he lost his son. He said he got depressed, anything like that. And he said, but what he realized is he said, it's a choice. You have a choice whether to be sad or not sad. But what happens is the world tells you you don't have a choice, i.e. biochemistry. So your brain chemistry, you don't. Whereas actually, you look, he says, you look around, he says, they, that's not, it's not actually that. You have a chemical reaction to your thoughts. So that's why endorphins happen. That's why all of those different, the way your brain works is, if something excites you, you have that chemical reaction. If it makes you sad, you have a chemical reaction. So then context is important there. So it's all he did for me, probably at the right time, is the one thing I always backed down, like was the minimum standard. I always backed down to that one where he said, you have a choice. Because if he hadn't said that and I hadn't seen that, I would have been like, depressions, it's, yep, I've got it. Oh, no. And then, yeah, I can't get it. And then you start to identify with it. And you look at all the ways that you've got to get you, even in therapy and all the things that you get through is like never identify with it. Because if you identify with it, it's yours and it's going yeah, to stay. the phrase, I am depressed. Yeah. Versus you depression are, is yeah. around here. Yeah. And so he, feeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like there's depression around. It's fine. And as long as you realize that it can move on, it that's all you need. It's not saying you're not depressed. It's saying, yeah, it's around you. You're feeling it, but it's going to move on. And as long as you know that it can move on, that's enough to give you hope to move forward. Whether it takes you a week, six months, or whatever it is, just keep taking those steps. Just realize that you do have that that in you. So I, like, this will always come. Like, I know that I won't necessarily say it in the right way, and it doesn't come across in the way that can and offend people. But I believe that every single human in this world has something to give. There's a there's talent, there's potential, there's passion, there's something that there's a reason that you're here, right? But the environment that we are that surrounds us limits us and takes away the choice and makes us lose hope. Just a quick favor to ask. If you love the show and you think it may help someone else in the world, then head to wherever you listen to The Freedom Project and leave a five-star review and maybe even share it with some friends. It really does help me and it helps the show too. I can continue to get fantastic guests on the show. It reaches more people and it makes me feel great too. So I would be enormously grateful if you could leave a five-star review and share any episodes of the podcast that you love. And my, my wife actually said, and that's an interesting study or um, video on Instagram, whatever. And she said there was a study done on rats. And when I looked at the comments, they were like, what a cruel humans. But they said they, they put rats in a pool and they watched how long they could swim for. And they said at about 15 minutes, I don't know if you've seen this one, at about 15 minutes, they all started to sink to the bottom and drown. Then they started to rescue the rats at about the 15-minute mark, dry them up so that they were now rescued. And they put them back in the pool. And guess how long the rats then swam for? There's like 60 hours or 60 days or something like that. Where like, because they thought there was a chance of being rescued. So there was hope. 
And that's what I love about it. It's like, don't ever let someone limit you so that you don't have hope. You might not always know the answer, but as long as you have hope. So if, you, if we're talking on the mental health side of things, it's like, if you have hope, it will get you through a lot longer. It might not be way better. You might not get happier straight away, but just have that hope and understand that it is. Like Mo, back to Mo Gaudat, he says, if it's, he said, he used the example, which is really good. He goes, if it's raining and you want it to rain, how do you feel? You're happy. He said, if it's raining and you don't want it to rain, how do you feel? You're sad. He said, rain is just rain. So like for me, it was like life is just life. Life will come at you no matter what you do. Whether you're happy or sad, life is going to bring you ups. It's going to bring you downs. It's going to come. The sun is going to rise every single day. And you can either look at that and be like, I'm sad. Or you can look at it and be like, oh, the sun's risen. That's it. Or the sun's risen. I'm happy. Like the choice, he said, the choice is yours. And I'm deliberately paraphrasing to him so that no one comes after me at this. These are my experiences from my point of view, my life is that's empowered me so much. Like there are so many challenges that come post rugby and even in rugby and in, in your life, in anyone's life, like rugby is just one vessel. Everyone has this. It's all relative, isn't it? Like your depression, mm -hmm. my, or the depression that you might experience, the depression that I might experience, the depression that anyone listening might experience is relative. So I could never say yours is worse than mine. Mine is better than yours, et cetera, et cetera. It's relative. That's where we have mm -hmm. to say, we have to accept that it's there. Whether you've lost a job or lost a kid, the chemical reaction is going to be the same. It's relative. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. don't, we can't undermine someone's what they're going through. It's their feelings. Like the same with kids. Like kids throw tantrums. They're sad because they can't have a sweet. But those, are, those emotions are intense. Like they are sad. Like some kids will get sad for like half a day if you don't give them their toy or whatever it is. Like it's just a toy, but it's the emotion that overrides. And that's the same for adults in life. So it's how do we recognize that and, and realize we've got to move through it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Leon. There's <clears throat> loads of directions that I want to take this. Yeah. One of them is actually let's back up and take a, a big deviation on this and get ready for me to butcher another African word. Um, you grew up in Harare, right? Yeah. Yeah. Harare. Okay. I've got it right. Phew. Nice. Um, you got somewhat evicted by Mugabe's forces. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Like, tell me the story. Um, I mean, my, I always give credit to my mom and dad that did a very good job of protecting us so that we didn't, us as kids weren't at the, the forefront of it. Because um, obviously they start to, the, the, what is called the war veterans then, the people that would have fought in the war before I was alive and then come onto the farms and then say, this is our land, we fought for it. And they just want to claim it. So they just start to slowly take over the farm, beat up the workers, block the roads. Some farmers end up having shootouts with those guys and they didn't, it didn't end so well. Whereas, you know, we moved into town. My dad used to travel back and forth every day. And then eventually the farm just got shut down. So we lost everything. And then we ended up leaving. I always remember it. Like we ended up leaving Zimbabwe with what we could fit in our truck. So it was us and whatever fit in the back of the truck and left. So it's like clothes, a couple of memories. How old were you then? 12. Yeah. yeah. That's unsettling. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very unsettling. We like, I often talk to people now about identity. So like, I think it's a massive part. You look at cultural identities, individual identities. Um, and there's an understanding I have from my background and I like, I wouldn't disempower anything that I've got, like the, the hardships and stuff that I went through are the blessings that I got given in order to be able to sit and talk about the things that make me passionate. So you, the hardest bit about that is you've, done junior school all your friends all your memories everything that you've got in terms of 
consistency with person as person consistency with environment with honestly brilliant lovely 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 childhood is then just in one day just gone because as a child you don't realize how big a, the the changes are going to be you don't look six months in advance you're just living day by day and the parents are doing a good job and then you suddenly leave and as we were driving out of harari i just remember the whole family started to cry and it wasn't like someone said anything or triggered it that just i think it was just a big realization of okay that's that's that life is just completely gone going into a whole new country whole new world we know no one double that up with going into senior school into an all-boys school for me so it's like it was it was a ritual of fire um and very interesting lots of learns and lots of things to look back on and go that's my experience this this is what i've learned and this is why i think it's important the reason why i wanted to bring that up there and thank you for sharing that by the way um the reason why i wanted to bring that up is because of that that empowering narrative of hope that you talked about before was that something that was around then that hope or was it a complete despair of this is the end or this is something that i really want to avoid uh it's hard to say i don't know if it's always been something that's natural to me or due to you know credit to my mom or dad like my dad's always been quite positive he's just a positive kind of guy whether he doesn't look into the detail of things or not like and then my mom just fighter spirit just the things that she's had to go through to make things work for us kids um so i think hope is something that's that i've definitely learned because i think you do things naturally and then you become aware of them um so i it's something i become more aware of and when you become more aware of things you realize where you can put your focus on it makes it even more powerful does that make sense yeah um like i never thought life was ending when we were leaving Zimbabwe. i never thought it was anything when you look back you're like geez that was huge but as a kid i mean i we had our goodbye party we said our goodbyes we we had those little steps that we could make we still you you keep in touch with a couple of friends but life gets very busy and you just move on you just i don't know like there's a resilience aspect that goes you've got to keep looking forward and maybe that's why i didn't have much time to think about how necessarily traumatic it could have been maybe some healing i've got to do still and go back into it and delve into it um, because I do think that's an important part of anyone's life is looking back and thinking, you know, you brush that under the carpet, it doesn't bother you, but we all have underlying biases, triggers and, and, um, you know, what else I'm thinking, like just the way we see things, they will be drivers from childhood. And that's where I really like that, like inner child stuff. I haven't really looked into it much. I haven't really delved into it, but it's on the, it's on the horizon because I think it's, it's important is like when you recognize where your drivers come from you got to just flow back there and just heal them there and work on them there. You realize how there's a lot of things in current day life just become a lot easier. Mm. What lessons did you learn from the way your parents handled that situation that you want to pass on to your kids? So you can learn good lessons and you can learn bad lessons, right? Either way, they're a lesson. So um, my parents ended up putting so much into making sure that we were set up as a family with a lot of setbacks, like in the first year of being there, we started up a new project, a new farm, which ended up um, crashing because of a disease hitting the flowers and no more money. So we had to go into like, uh, my dad had to go into like fertilizer sales. My mom had to go and find a job um, managing offices and stuff like that, selling the house that we bought. Then we rented and we moved every year. So we moved, I must have moved house maybe 15 times in my life, 16 times, because you go once a year for senior school, move from Zimbabwe, then to university, 
Um, so, and then my parents ended up getting divorced when I was about 17. And I think it just one of the, they, they had to focus so much on being resilient for us. They couldn't, they didn't have time to focus on each other. They didn't have time to focus on themselves. And yeah, I mean, I've, I don't have any judgment on my parents for the way they did things. I'm in awe of how well they got us through things. Um, it's just a pity that things didn't end up so well for them in terms of getting divorced. Um, because I think it's it's always a shame. Like people always look back and are like, Flip, I wish I could have done better. But at the time, you do the best that you can do. And so the lessons I learned now, I'm a big, big proponent of like as much as I have going on, we my wife and I are very strict on making sure we spend time with kids. So we'll work between nine and three. And then it's as best we can, unless there's you know, pressing issues, we make sure that we are around the kids there for their sport there for like the key aspects of their life um i've always wanted to give my kids solid like good roots so i recognize that leaving zimbabwe at 12 um has a big part to play in like trying to find your identity as you go because you've now new cultures new people new friends new memories um you know it's almost that like birds of a feather flock together now you put one bird in a different flock and they've got to try and learn how that flock works so we try and make sure that we don't I mean, we try to make sure we don't move for our kids. So we try and get a forever home now and do the best we can to make sure that, you know, our kids have good childhood memories. And my, my ideal dream would be that the, kid, the, the, the friends my kids make now are the ones that are going to their weddings and the ones at their 50th and the ones at their 70th. Mix in a few new people, obviously, but a core one or two, that's how I would determine success in terms of giving them that grounding, those roots, because I think there's a consistency element within identity that friends will play and if you don't have them it's you don't know where to look and you're constantly trying to build that trust element whereas you can never i don't think you could ever replace the friends that you had as a friend does that make sense like those there's like you think back to like as a kid yeah as a kid like those pure joy moments you had throwing a ball at each other or playing tag or things like you will never get that back with like if you and me became best friends now We'd never have that same feeling. And if you can keep those people around, they may be different people as they grow, but that feeling you have towards them, that reminder will always keep that like sense of comfort for your, your kids or as, as they grow into adults. So there's a big one in that. And then I suppose just listening to myself now talk um, is with my parents getting divorced and not giving themselves enough time for themselves and seeing where they ended up having to fight from, from pretty dark spaces is and especially my mom because she lives with us um and i get to see that i get to see her journey and she's incredibly inspirational um is making sure that i'm spending time looking after myself even if it feels a bit selfish sometimes but i really like the more i do that the more i realize how much better i can be for my wife and kids and when i don't do those things i realize how less i how much less i can give to them um mm -hmm. and that's why i mentioned in the beginning that like that selfish narrative that comes is, is way too easily thrown around because we actually do yeah. need to look after ourselves. Yeah, nice. Back to Ubuntu. Yeah, back to Ubuntu. It's like, I think the, the thing that, it, that sums up Ubuntu is like, if you realize that who we are who we are through others, doesn't mean give of yourself wholly and never look at yourself. It's like, you are the people that you're looking after. Therefore, if you're not looking after yourself, you're not looking after those people. Like, you're 100% connected. Like, you get really deep on Ubuntu. It's like, you are that person you're looking after. So therefore, 
if that person that you're looking after is in a good space and you're not, you're not looking after them as best as you can be. So don't fill your life with making sure you're running around like a headless chicken, looking after everyone else and plonk, plonking yourself into bed at one o'clock in the morning and getting up at six and doing things for everyone else is like set time aside for yourself. And the structure of that goes the same to CEOs or people in leadership is like, if you're not giving yourself, you know, peak mind, you read that book, she's like 12 minutes a day of mindfulness. I mean, that's very minimal. And the, she says the people that say they don't have that time needs double that. Um, and it's because what, what that does is not, it's got nothing to do with mindfulness per se. It's, it's giving yourself time to just focus on yourself and realizing where your energy levels are at. Because if a CEO goes down, what happens? The business fails. If your leadership goes down, what happens? Your team fails. Then it takes time. And then there's, and it's the same as a person, as a friend, as a parent. It's all, the structures are all the same. As a parent, if you're no good, your kids are not going to be no good. As a friend, if you're no good, you're going to be no good for your friends. So if you really want to be connected and be the best you can be for other people, is literally focus on yourself and your life will change. It always strikes me as interesting how much time we spend doing and how little time we spend still or thinking about what we're doing or just considering our own mental state. The default today seems to be action. Whereas if you think about what we are evolutionarily um, designed for or biologically designed for, there's huge periods of inaction. And again, there's probably a parallel between a pro rugby career and and time in the military. Like time in the military is 99% boredom. Yeah. Of especially when you're on exercises or deployed. Um, it's like you're you're bored, you're not doing anything for long periods of time, and then it's one percent action and do things. And it's I'm guessing similar things in rugby. Like your job is to recover and recover to the yeah, best yeah. of your ability and for most of your time. So there's there's parallels there that we don't take into high performance in entrepreneurialism or entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I, I, there's a good point. So I, there I was talking to Ben Williams from, I mean, it's not yep. a plug, but he's with Lupin and he was, and I've been trying to think of a way to take sport into business and how, how can you speak the same language? And he was like, oh, you know, military is like 90% preparation, 10, 10 battles. And I was like, there it is. That's all I needed. Cause you know, when like the universe will connect thoughts. So I was in, yes, it's exactly right. So rugby and I go into, and I did this for business the other day and I said, in rugby, it's five days a week, review, preview, practice, one day performance. So you have all that time to like rise up. So I then split it into two timelines. I said, here's your review, preview timeline. Here's your performance timeline. Rugby is five out of six, review, preview, whereas business is, is pretty much nine out of like 10 out of 10 performance. Like the whole time you are, when, you, when you're there, you're sending to a client. There's no review, preview, unless you intentionally put it in. So I said, as a business, You've got to understand that performance is going on the whole time and you've got to have your review, review, preview, i.e. looking back, looking forward, and you've got to slot it in as often as possible so that you can understand that your performance is either going off track or it's going on track. And that's where like it came down to like why our meetings important, but it's the intent behind it. That's, that's the key. So when you say about inaction, it's like inaction breeds fear, right? Because the intent usually is uh, I'm I'm scared, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm we're not performing, I'm I don't know what to do, I'm gonna sit. But if your intention behind an action is like I'm going to reload, then it's really good. So mm. I thought I think it's like it's really important to understand that it's the intention that matters above all else. It does like the inaction is a tool. Like if you're just chilling and you want to 
do nothing. If your intention is to reload, you will reload. If your intention is to like, if you're not even paying attention to the intention, if that makes sense, then it, it's probably not going to be good for you because yeah. you, that's when you need action because action doesn't allow you to think. Therefore, normally when you're doing action, you are progressing in something, even if it's nothing. But if you have the, like, the awareness to raise up and go, what's the intention behind the action? What's the intention behind the inaction? You can always steer it in the right way. And that's where that awareness comes in. It's yeah. like, am I aware of what I'm actually doing? Because when I've been, like, speaking from personal experience, when I've been least um, progressive or least uh, moving forward the least in my life, it's when I've been unintentional. Yeah. When I've been allowing things to happen to me. And when I used to work with CrossFit athletes as well, teaching them high performance, it's like, okay, what is actually lean forwards it's, it's being deliberate with your training it's being deliberate in those sessions it's being deliberate in your recovery it's being deliberate in your rest same with entrepreneurship it's being deliberate and intentional yeah. and specific and focused and we spend and it's why these things are so awful i'm holding up my yeah. phone for people, yeah, yeah. Isn't it? it's like it's so unintentional that time an hour of unintentional time scrolling through instagram looking at the crap that's on it it's so un unintentional it's so um, unnecessary and unfocused that yeah. it's not doing anything. It's not recovering. Yeah. It's not being constructive. It's doing nothing. It's existing. Yeah. So I, I, I have a, I have a really good conversation with my brother-in-law because he's like, he's massive into his like self-development and we can have, he's more like analytical scientific. Um, whereas I'm more just, I'm, I'm, I'm the other end of it. Like I can be, and I really like some facts. And I really like, neuroscience and how it goes but we started talking about energy states and you know what gives you energy what what drains your energy and how you manage those in your day-to-day -to, -day to make sure that you've always got the ideal energy state to perform and tv came up and he got and i said i don't think tv is a good energy giver and he goes oh but you know like sometimes you just need to just switch off and and you know let yourself go and not think about things and i said i get it and i have to because he's create some very good arguments. But I said, I think TV or your phones is what I call a neutral. Like it doesn't drain your energy. That's why it's easy to pick up, but it doesn't give you energy. It does like you never oh, you feel awful. Afterwards. Yeah. You never afterwards, you feel pretty much the same as you did before or worse because you're like, I've just wasted an hour and I've, I've achieved nothing. And I, and when I put it that way, he then understood because he's like, I like to sit down in the evenings and just watch an hour and a half of TV. It makes me feel good. I said, but does it i said all it does is it stops you from thinking about how tired you are because it's a blocker yeah but i said when you finish that hour and a half tv you don't go up and you go i'm pumped i'm gonna do some work you you normally go oh, i'm tired i'm gonna go i should have worked i should have mm -hmm. i should have i should have yes it's missed time yeah so i always say like the where the that's that's a good example of inaction in the in the wrong way whereas actually if we want to do something that reloads us we can have inaction by sitting and journaling, or we can have inaction by meditating. We can have inaction by going for a walk. It's just Spending like time with the family. It's time. It was time with the family. It's like it's the intent behind it. But I think where the trick, where it gets hard, is sometimes it takes a little bit of energy to put yourself into a situation where you're going to be getting energy, and that's the blocker for people. So it's easy to plonk down on a couch, press a button. There's no energy that's needed. Oh, I'm just going to watch this, whatever. But 
sometimes I'll go, I need to go watch TV because there's that underlying driver of habits that were from old. I go, actually, let me just sit down in front of the, I'm knackered, right? Long day, working up early, done all the things to do, sit down in front of my computer. And within two minutes, I'm, woof, I'm like, right. And it's not because I'm, I'm addicted to it. It's just because I'm happen to be in a work, working environment, a biz, have a business or a couple of things that generally feed my energy. So like I, when I learn about leadership, I'm learning about how the human mind works, how that works in that environment. How can I take that into my own life? How can I do that on an individual level? Because when we're talking now, it's, it's made, we're talking about things that are passionate about, even though some people would see like, oh, this podcast is, a, is work. So, well, if it is that, it's like, how do we change that intent? Or how do we make it something that is, you know, more in line with what we're doing? And I think that's where you can avoid things like burnout and is because you're slightly out of line with things that give you energy. Therefore, you, you, it's taking a little bit of energy. It's taking a little bit of energy every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're so right. There's something that I have to be very intentional about and something that I'm actually kind of concerned about, which is when my wife and I decide to have kids, which is somewhere in the future, yeah. which is a very exciting time, what kind of example do I want to be setting and how do I want to be engaging with them? Because I recently saw a one-year-old, no, 16 months, 17 months, baby just swiping through a phone. And I was like, man, that is yeah. crazy. And it was kind of amazing how dexterous she yeah. was and like how easily she did that. But then I'm thinking but what's that doing? And yeah. there's videos online of like kids as they're falling asleep, their thumbs are scrolling and yeah. they're just, so they're still processing that through their mind. But then there's also, how do I want to engage with potential hopeful children? It's yeah. like, well, I want to be present. I want to be there. And the thing that made me think of this is my wife and I were watching TV the other day and we're both doing that thing of just scrolling through our phones as we're doing it. And we're just like, somehow I've got Instagram here. I'm stroking the dog. Yeah. I've got yeah. TV on in the background and yeah. I'm thinking about work and I've yeah. got all these things. And both of us are just living like these parallel lives next yeah. to each other. And I was like, right. And I grabbed both our phones. And I was like, they're going away just for 15 minutes. And like that 15 minutes, even though it's such an uncomfortable thing to do. And I had to, um, risk a potential argument as well yeah. by picking up a phone from elsewhere. The, the, that engaged 15 minutes was so, so beneficial for us. 15 minutes out of, a, yeah. out of a day is nothing. And like that, that was a better way to live. I am certain of it than the easy option, which is unintentional. Yeah. I, th- I like, I, if I go, what are the lessons I've learned is the more you can solidify your routine before you have kids the better you'll know how to fit it in when you have them. And if I could go back and just erase TV from my life, I would 100% because we're pretty much at that point now. I've done exactly what you've done. We were like, oh, we'll watch a movie, sit down, dog jumps in your lap. I'm on my phone. She's on her phone. Movie's still going on. Or there's the other situation where she wants to watch the movie. I'm on my phone because I need to do something. And then she's like, oh, did, why are you not watching? So there's always, mm-hmm. but we hardly ever watch TV now. And it's not something we miss and actually it's so much because if we don't feel like working it's like oh let's let's actually do kind of like book club so we'll read a book together or listen to a book together and then talk about the book because that then is like that's allowing us to like feed off of each other because the book is something that we're both interested in and it's not fancy books it's like say think think big and grow rich or it's 50 shades of gray isn't it it's it was 50 shades of gray when we first started (laughs) but it's just it is interesting how if you are creating habits when you don't have kids, 
So TV being one of them, these neutral habits, as I say, the neutral energy bits. So they don't take effort, but they are like phones. And you, if you'll eventually evolve your life around those things, when you have kids, it'd be so much, it's so much more challenging to then break those habits and instill new ones in the kids because you're not fighting the kids, you're fighting yourself and the kids. And so we won't, we, we don't intend on giving our kids phones until they're 15 because of social media and all that kind of stuff. But the intent behind what they can use electronics for is if they want to watch YouTube, it's with us watching because YouTube's a dangerous open field, uh, uh, minefield. Um, but it's like watching things. And it's also an amazing tool. Yeah. So we're going to watch, they, they can educate themselves on YouTube. That's fine. If we, if they are watching a doctor, someone that's going to do this all good. Um, but we, we've never given, like some of the best things someone said is never give a kid an electronic device as a suppressant. So yeah. like when a kid's having a tantrum or in a restaurant, if you've given them that to stop them from feeling the emotions, or whatever, they're not learning anything. Even though it looks like, oh, look at how amazing they are on the phone. It's like, they're not like, they can be just as amazing outside or actually you get your kids to learn how to be in social environments by being kind to yourself and saying, they're probably going to scream. They're probably going to throw a tantrum. But if the people around me aren't accepting of that, then they don't have to understand kids and probably not going to come out with them again. But if you're going out to dinner and giving the kids TV or phones or iPads at every single dinner, they are so engrossed in that world that they've learned nothing. Like They've learned nothing other than just being on the phone because it's whether they're at home, at a restaurant, in a car, their eyes glued on TVs. outside. And the they've learned that if I'm feeling a negative emotion, I've got to try and soothe myself get rid of it straight away rather than investigate it and yeah. that well, they don't even learn lesson in itself they don't learn yeah. if you've ever seen watch watch the next time you go ah, ah. and then they're just on the phone they haven't learned to regulate themselves they've just learned to brush it under the carpet so that's still there but one day as they get older they're not going to have a phone to just do that they're going to be out in an environment a work environment or whatever environment it is and they won't know how to regulate that. Those are important yeah. milestones that we are suppressing. Or I honestly feel that 20 years from now, the line between those who are successful but also feel fulfilled in life will be drawn between those who have the discipline to not use their electronics when they don't want to and those who don't have that, that discipline because that is the difference between being intentional and constructing your own life. Yeah and allowing life to happen to you in other words it's that jersey gregoric line of easy choices hard life hard choices yeah. easy life yeah short-term gain long-term loss yeah i mean like i think there's 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 so much wonder that can come out of technology and you connect to globe and everything but like you say it's the discipline to know when to use it and when to have your boundaries because mm -hmm. that's the hardest like i put up a story every morning and then I'm like, okay, maybe in, in order to get the brand out there or myself out there a little bit more, I've got to start creating reels. But now when you start doing that, you're creating reels, then you're starting to watch other people's reels. And then you're starting to spend a lot of time on, and then it creeps into when you're around the kids and then the kids are not seeing your, you're not where your feet are. You're not present, mm -hmm. but you're like, oh, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to build this future. I'm trying to do this. It's all for us. It's like, but the kids don't care about that. And that's where you don't have, like, we don't have the boundaries and that's what's important to try and instill. Couldn't say it better myself. Talked about, talk to me about putting your kids in ice baths. <laughs> so that was, it's a good example of lead yourself before you lead others. And 
actions speak louder than words and you'll inspire people more by the things you do than the things you say. So they've, I've done that now just about a year and a, a month into ice pods and they've watched me every single day get in. And I've, I've obviously I, I go, Oh, who's going to get in with the ice bath with me in about never like you will get an ice bath. It's really so good for you because you don't throw them in head first. No, 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 no. <laughs> that would be the worst thing. <laughs> uh, and it's the same with my wife. Like she doesn't, she's watched me. She like, everyone always says you're crazy. And like, the best thing is whenever I speak to someone, they go, I'll never get an ice. I hate it. I say, never say never and never judge your future by your present. Um, and so my son, he was desperate for like Beyblades or something like that. He's a very much at the moment externally motivated by things. So I'm trying to then go use the best that he's got. I know how to get the best out of him to then help him build himself up without realizing what he's doing. So him getting an ice bath is because then I'll say I'll get him some Beyblades or a double-headed Transformer Dragon because he loves it. But it's 20 days of him getting the ice bath. Then when the excitement over the double-headed Transformer Dragon or Beyblades dies down, I then will go, Miles, do you realize that you got into Ice Bath 20 days in a row and you nailed it? And that will be so much more empowering than anything else that he could possibly do. My daughter, I knew because I made that deal with my son. I didn't say get in the Ice Bath. I was like, he's those, well, I really want one. I say, well, what about 20 days in the Ice Bath? He goes, yeah, fine. I'm, I'm keen. I said, watch, I bet you Laurie's just going to copy. And when we got home, I said, Miles is going to do 20 days in the ice bath. Laurie's like, oh, I'll do it. So she doesn't necessarily even have anything on the line other than she just wants to compete or be part of it. And I always have to like say, you've got to focus on yourself. Like she's nailing it. So the next thing, if you watch those 20 days posts that I do, everyone, and this is so interesting in terms of life and how people see things. And I'm like, there's a big lesson in this is Laurie nails it. Like she gets in there. She's like, her intention is like, she loves it, right? So she gets in, dunks her head, calms herself down. All of the comments, all of the comments I get, Laurie's amazing, Laurie's this. Not a single person has said, wow, Miles is doing well, right? What you don't see in the background, and that's fine because the world celebrates the outcomes. The outcome is they see Laurie nailing the breath thing, dunking, like like really embracing. They're like, wow, wow, she's so brave. She's amazing. Now, only one person has actually known this actual Lumi. So Gavin, who owns Lumi, I was chatting to him about this. And I said, no one notices Miles in this. And he goes, let me guess, it's so much harder for him. I said, it's 100%, 100 times harder for Miles to do what he's doing than it is for Laurie. Because everything's relative, right? So when he gets into that ice bath, and he's a bit more sensory, so he's like he feels that 10 times worse than Laurie does. The amount of effort, bravery, courage, willpower that he's got to muster up to get in there and fight everything in his body that's saying don't is exponentially bigger than what it is for Laurie because Laurie wants to so she's not she doesn't have this chimp in her head going we're not doing this we're not doing it. she's like oh it's cold but this is exciting whereas Miles he's got this chimp is like his comfort zone his driver he's got a strong chimp that's going we're not going to get in there we're not going to and he's having to muster up this human Miles courage this character growth to go listen to me chimp we are getting in there. And he hates it. He still hates it. Like when he dunks, he gets out. He's like, my brain freeze, my brain. He feels it. But it's so much more empowering for him than it is her because of what he's having to go through. So where I say the lesson is like, we never know how hard it is for someone to do something that we all judge on one level. So like going to gym for one person is easy. Going to some to gym for someone else is 
is an effort. So like never judge someone who walked in their shoes as a perfect saying has like, I don't want to emphasize it on behalf of miles. But for me, I always knew Laurie Bell to do it. And the other flip side of that story is like, she doesn't get as much praise or as much credit just because she just cracks on in life in general. So she then thinks that she's not as special, but she doesn't realize that it's just easier for her to do things. Whereas Miles gets a lot more attention because it's a lot harder for him to act on, on in things at the level that she's at. Absolutely. So it's just about like, this, yeah. Th- what this makes me think of is, have you read the book um, Grit by Angela Duckworth? I no, think. I've seen it recommended. Yeah, okay. yeah, like good book. Um, there's a story in the beginning where they talk about musicians and they give trained musicians two pieces of music to listen to. And they don't know, the people listening to this, they don't know that it's the same musician playing in both pieces, but it's two different parts of the same kind of movement that they're playing so they say the first musician you're going to listen to is naturally talented she's like gifted she's found yeah. it easy and she's just like kind of swan through this she's that she, the virtuoso she really knows like she's been naturally gifted talented person and the other person you listen to is a real striver they've worked hard they had to work for 10 hours a day practicing the scales and they've like given everything they could and when the people listen to it even they're trained musicians and they know what they're listening for and they believe it's two different people and even though it's exactly the same person they say oh the the first person they're way more um you can feel the flow of it they like feel Uh, more kind of composed it feels more natural and they give all the praise to that first person because it's the idea that it's easy and there's something in our mind that we're looking for people that are gifted and who find it easy and like there's something that we're we feel it should be that way it's yeah. back to the same conversation of, oh, i've got to go to 100 percent, and we've got to find it easy well no because like you train your mind and you train your physiology when you do the difficult thing and when you strive and when you work hard and that's actually the thing that creates success in the long run doing difficult things consistently that are aligned with who you really are yeah yeah i like i love that because it brings in like uh, underlying drivers of cognitive bias and, and biology. And you can't like the funny thing is, is the funniest thing is when people are talking about cognitive bias, they are very aware of what it is, but they're very unaware of their own biases. Yeah. And the best thing that we can admit is that we all have biases and you can never preach to someone about their bias. Like you look on social media and it's always like, whether it's, you know, uh, LGBTQ or women in business or even like Tate and, um, what's it, Jordan Peterson, like everyone speaks from their own bias, but we all preach as if we don't have the bias. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think the sweet spot is understanding. It's like, wow, look at your bias and look at mine and just having a laugh about it. Mm-hmm. The thing I love about that is that there's, I can't remember what the bias is actually called is in this name, but it's basically saying that pr- knowledge of the bias doesn't stop you from exposing it. Yeah. Like, or exposing it, sorry. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be super aware. I'll let you get on with your day, but there is one thing I want to ask you about before we go. Yeah. We talked about Ubuntu. Yeah. Are there any other elements of African culture? And I know that's a huge generalization and a yeah. swathe of a, a giant continent and yeah. there's very different elements of it. But is there any elements of African culture that you think are beneficial or that you still keep in mind today? Loads. I think it's just not popularized, isn't it? Like, they like the African culture, but people look after themselves. Like there's, it's, it's a massive team effort. Um, there's always the outliers, but, um, 
you know, there's this, like, I always go off words. So like, there's another one called Simunye, which is we are one. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just a, there's a recognition. And I think it might be like, if you look into the core of African cultures and, and or like South African Zimbabwe is where I can speak from. That's where my biases are. Um, but there was always just this, like, they understood that they're like, we're connected and they understood that rites and rituals and pathways and like, you know, you look at how some some of the cultures in South Africa, you have to like the horse people, they have to go to the bush to become a man. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like they have to put these things in place where you have to work in order to achieve something. And I really like that. So it's it's about like you can never get away from hard work. So let's just do it together. Let's not judge one each other, bring each other up, like make sure that you're lifting up the people around you back to Ubuntu. And if you can espise that and just have hope that the more people do it, the more, the better it'll get, then that's all faith. I, I prefer faith over hope. Like if you have faith that if you speak up for the good things, the more you speak up for the good things, the more good things that will happen. That's where we need to have courage at the moment, because I think there's a lot of, is a millions, if not billions of extremely good people keeping quiet because the 5% ruin that on social media or the trolls. And then you think that the whole world's like that, but it's not. Like I reach out to so many people. I'm yet to meet a troll in person, but I meet so many good people. Me too. What a great place to wrap up. Where can people find out about your various projects, follow you on social media where you're not going to spend too much time. (laughs) The thing is, I've got to take a stance now, don't I? Um, Yeah, you do. You said it in public. Yeah. So um, Instagram, Don underscore Armand. Uh, that's just me. That's just general stuff that I li- like I'm about. LinkedIn will probably be closer related to the leadership business that we've got. Um, and then Instagram again, or Twitch, like every Tuesday night, we're doing for the gaming athlete stuff, which is very, it's all very similar stuff to what we've spoken about. Once you realize that when you're dealing with people and humans and the human mind, it doesn't change depending on the label. Um, the same things will empower you. So I'd appreciate if if anyone liked this talk, just come along and follow and tune in tonight. Like Twitch is is my favorite place because it's like an open-ended podcast where if you ask a question, we can talk about it. If you don't, then it becomes a very boring stream. So yeah, there's there's lots of various avenues and I look forward to following your journey too, Tom. Nice. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time, dude. All right, no worries.